This is episode 47 with Fiona Mullen, Chief People Officer at Ding. You're listening to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor podcast. I have been in the HR function for nearly the entirety of my career. And I, I, I think this moment actually is a really exciting moment for the impact that the people function has on growing and building great businesses. Welcome back to The Multiplier Effect. This week, we have a very exciting guest in the studio with us today, Fiona Mullen, whose career in managing HR teams has brought her across the globe to vastly different cultures and outstanding companies. She is Chief People Officer at Ding, which she joined in January 2020. Prior to that, Fiona was VP of HR at Facebook, covering all regions outside of the United States, Europe, Asia, and Latin America. She joined Facebook in 2014 after nine years at Microsoft. While at Microsoft, Fiona spent three years in China and Singapore leading HR for Microsoft Asia Pacific and two years leading recruiting for Microsoft internationally based in Europe. The early part of Fiona's career was spent at Accenture, where she was for seven years and, as you can imagine, is a much sought-after mentor in our global network at Endeavor. And today she sits down with Rory Guinan, Managing Director of Endeavor Ireland, to discuss how we continue to revise and reimagine inclusion in the workplace, how we maintain cultural cohesiveness as a company scales, and some of the unique opportunities the people function has on building and growing great businesses in the next five years. So with that, Rory, take it away. Welcome, Fiona, and thank you for your time. You're a much sought after mentor here at Endeavor, and I personally always learn something each time I speak with you or when I get the opportunity to hear you mentor our Endeavor entrepreneurs. So I'm delighted to get a chance to dig a little deeper on some topics. At Endeavor, we deal with highly ambitious entrepreneurs, and the most common challenge we hear is their difficulty in managing their team as they scale. Within that, there are different sub-challenges, such as maintaining the culture, a lack of direct contact with colleagues, or even the founders moving away from the detail. So it's a big question to start with, but what's the best approach you've seen to deal with this? It's, it's a really important question, and I think a challenge that faces so many leaders. I think the context of uh, a founding CEO is particularly uh, specific and needs a lot of careful thinking. Look, there's no simple answer to the question, so I'm going to unpack it a little bit and hopefully the audience can pick some things that are very relevant to their environment. And um, I guess the, where I'll start with is what happens when you don't do or you're not proactive about thinking about this challenge. And you know, whether you're moving from an organization or team of 50 people to 100 people or 100 people to 300 people, uh, what happens when you don't think forwardly about this challenge? I guess number one is you tend to overly micromanage and control, which obviously causes its own issues for others working around you. Equally, it causes your own stress challenges, takes time away from things that you really enjoy doing and, and gives you energy. Or thirdly, in essence, you could step away from key things and end up being viewed as a kind of ivory tower CEO, though that may not be your intention. So some planning is really and, and careful thought is really needed here. And the way I like to think about it is, is the science and the art. And I guess if I was to take the some of the science first, which is really thinking about what is what business is it that you're in and what kind of CEO are you and picking the things that you are uniquely 
placed to focus on. And so whether you're an engineer running a tech business and what kind of product you want to be spending your individual time on, or whether you are a more commercial entrepreneurial front of house CEO and therefore really spending time with customers and then think through what are the things that other people are much better qualified to focus on than you are. And I've heard CEOs that I've worked with really take this approach and it, it, it requires a lot of confidence and humility to be able to leave some things away, particularly when you're used to being in the middle of everything. So I think starting with some of those tough questions for oneself is, is, is a really important place to, to start. I think from there, what you do is, is really look at some of the systems and processes around you. So you can scale yourself with you know, proper planning and being clear around what's important so that others can really take that and do things on your behalf that you would have ordinarily driven before, you can really think through who of your directs can take or, or, you know, you can delegate to, you can look at your, you know, your meeting structures and your reporting mechanisms and think through the implications of those. You can't, for example, simply continue to do, you know, add in more one-on-ones with people around the organization that you used to habitually have one-on-ones with. You're going to either you know, remove some of those or reduce the cadence. But again, thinking proactively about it. So then comes the art, which is all around the change because you and the people around you will feel differently about what this will look like for them and for you. And unless you engage, or I guess what I'd recommend is you actively engage people with this challenge that you're facing. It also gives them license to think about that challenge for themselves and I guess give more line of sight as to the kind of changes you're thinking of making and take feedback on that. That will give people a greater sense of understanding as to why you're prioritizing some things over others, uh, great confidence in the people that you're giving some of your delegated responsibilities too. But you can also create forums then that allow you the access to the broad organization that you might lose from moving away from the more usual and ways of engaging through the entire teams that you might have been using before. And whether that's your weekly or bi-weekly all hands or open Q&A, whether that's the coffee chats with, with you know random groups of employees to take feedback, because you definitely don't want to be that ivory tower CEO, or at least perceived as such, even though that may not be your intention. And there's ways of doing that with, with a little bit of scale. Just a final point on this is that you may have heard of this before, but you know the data will tell you that a team above 100 people, it's pretty difficult to maintain direct and more into working relationships with all of those hundred people it may seem obvious, but the, but when you pass that threshold is really the prompt when you need to think, or, or when you're approaching that threshold is, is the prompt when you're going to need to put and think through those systems and process interventions that allow you leverage yourself, leverage those that are working with you, but also be really transparent around how you're going to do it. Okay. So that sounds simple to do. It's difficult. I don't underestimate it, but the more you can plan ahead, the better it will be for everybody. So be proactive, focus on the process. And, and the forums one is very interesting. I, I, I've seen it work and I've seen people kind of overlook it. And then there is that void of gap and the ivory tower element that you mentioned. 
so, so you're somewhat unique in the sense that your career has brought you across the globe to vastly different cultures and you've run HR teams for a long time. Over that period, diversity would have risen in prominence. So looking specifically at Ireland, where do you think we are right now and how might we, how might we improve our approach? So, I mean, like, like many countries and markets and companies, I guess, we're, we're really at an interesting stage whereby, you know, diversity is at the center of everything um, that we're doing. It's right front and center of brand decisions. It's not front and center of employer, employee value proposition behaviors. And so it, it's really at the core of mainstream business agenda. I would say beyond gender ireland it has has come very recently to a broader diversity agenda in relation to other aspects of identity in relation to race multiculturalism you know lgbt disability and cognitive diversity but that agenda is unpacking very quickly and it's a huge change for our environment. Certainly the presence of the US multinationals in Ireland has had a huge impact in, in creating a more globalized, culturally sensitive workforce, which is which is very interesting. The, the agenda has very much shifted from the appetite to being more diverse to the real need to be more inclusive and create that sense of belonging, which is not just attractive to, to everyone, but as a, a kind of unique element of your employer value proposition, but it's it's really essential for everybody to thrive and specifically for minorities to thrive in the workplace. So like like many environments, the, the Irish workplace is is coping and with both the, the opportunity, but also the challenges that go with that and learning very quickly, I would say you know, we're 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 now at a place from from a leadership standpoint whereby and to some degree, through hard lessons where leaders, leaders are making specific mistakes and getting called out by their employee populations on those mistakes. Um, but, but leadership, moving from a leadership sponsorship standpoint to leaders being very much activated around the diversity and, and inclusion agenda, which is very exciting. I think COVID has definitely accelerated that change. And I'm certainly optimistic about the workplace of the future, particularly as it relates to Ireland, about what opportunities that can bring our businesses for being, I guess, more agile on a global stage as we as we look to the next, you know, two to three years. And, and do you ever foresee a day where we don't have to discuss diversity or, as you say, inclusiveness? It, it's a really interesting question. And of course, you'd like to say, you know, at some point we'd be able to look and say we've, we've achieved what we, we wanted. But I guess this is as much about the journey as it is the destination, because how do we describe what great looks like? Because the world just keeps changing. And we, you know, when I started out in, in working in areas of diversity, we had a very particular view and it was largely centered around agenda, sorry, gender. But we keep opening up and making that conversation a lot more expansive. So I'm going to say, you know, I, I, I doubt it, but probably for the right reasons, because we'll continue to re revise and reimagine what that inclusion agenda looks like. So when you can you see that unpacking across all elements of identity, you get to areas of cognitive diversity. Again, for many of us, you know, thinking broadly around innovation, that becomes really important. So I'm going to say no, certainly not in my lifetime, but I certainly think we will continue to make important progress that we 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 and we should. So I think that will give us cause for 
both, you know, satisfaction in our progress, but equally optimism for the future. And, and I love your use of the word inclusive. It, it, it seems like a more positive word even than diversity. No one would ever argue about, you know, it, a, an organization or a workforce being inclusive. So I think it's a much better word. And um, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever heard is to hire ahead. And it may even have been you that said it. But how does that manifest itself? If you're at 50 people in an organization and you've plans to go to 150, is that as far ahead as a founder needs to think? Or should he or she be thinking about a 250 or 500 person organization? Oh, my goodness. That is a, you know, I'm showing my age here, but the six million dollar question. Right. To caveat that a little bit, I, I don't think it's possible to be very binary around the number of employees, because obviously you've got to contextualize that in, well, you know, what is it, what what are the business objectives we're trying to achieve and where is that growth going to play out? So I would break it down a little bit. And of course, numbers are important as one dimension of growth, but I would break it down a little bit in relation to, you know, where are the opportunities? Are they, are they product led? Are they geographic led? Are they sales or marketing led? Where, you know, what's the timeline associated with that? What are the constraints? honestly, around it so that we need to prioritize where do we need to have a competitive advantage versus where can we be at the market? Um, so if our business needs to be, let's say, three to four X in a period of, you know, two years, that will mean different things to different functions in the organization. And if you have PL constraints through that, or at least some guardrails, which I presume, you know, all of us will have, pick the key hires in your team where you want to bring some hires in who have absolutely complementary or, or diverse skills and experience to you and your team, but who have in essence been down the journey that you have not been down and therefore can choreograph that for you or map that onto you know, a specific team or function. Because I think that allows for, you know, a, a multi-year approach so that if you take in year one and you're clear on where you need to have a competitive advantage in a particular function or team, you can really amp up there, but also be, you know, at pace or even leaner than pace in some teams, perhaps where you're going to, in, in a very uh, intentional way, you know, plan to slightly underinvest in order to overinvest in, in some other area. So I guess that comes back to what the plan is. I'm a big believer in hiring head, but very specifically around core areas that are going to deliver that value. Now, there is a challenge with growing very quickly, very fast. And I'll say that from bitter experience, from spending you know, a number of years in the very high growth phases of Facebook, is that if you purely apply a, a simple approach of, you know, multiplying each team by the level of top line growth you have in, in the organization, you will experience, you know, the, the, the productivity hit of, of lots of newness and you will experience chaos. So doing that in a more intentional way and a very planful way, in my experience, is, is quite fruitful. And just thinking through the implications of that uh, will really give your team the skill sets that they need to understand not only what they their need to invest but also how they sustain the growth the so i think as i said I'll, I'll sum up there but that is i think an important an important lens on on how you plan growth and thinking about those first 
you know, 100, 150 hires. I know Reid Hoffman, board member of Endeavor Global, he frequently says that your first 150 hires are your cultural co-founders. And, and when you look at your own career, you've worked in senior positions at the most recognized and successful companies globally, and you're now leading the people aspect of Ding, which is founded by Endeavor Ireland board member Mark Roden. And Ding is probably more relatable to most of the audience in this session in terms of size and stage. But in your opinion, what is the single most important tool to boost an organization's cultural cohesiveness? It's a really important question, and, and I, I don't think anybody in the audience would be surprised by the answer, which is, is, the, is the founding leader or those original founding leaders. And I guess that is strength and benefit of being an earlier stage company, which is that relationship that CEO or founder has with those, you know, the employee base is can be rich and intimate and there can be a lot of transparency around what's going on in the business. Um, the shadow of that leader is a really important shadow for good and bad reasons, right? So for the good reasons, because people will be watching everything that you do and they will do things in your likeness. And if, if that shadow is, you know, a more negative shadow, either by, you know, omission and um, then that also has a huge amount of, of influence. So it really does come down to the thought and intentionality that a leader brings to the culture of the organization, because even if you're not thinking about it, you are building the culture without realizing. So in that sense, I, I, I vehemently agree with, with Reid Hoffman on this case. But the point around those early hires, they are also demonstrating leadership. Because again, they have their, their influences around the organization, if you like, culture carriers. So I think portioning a fair degree of attention at that early stage around what you want the culture to be and how are people going to experience it in working with you is time really well spent. And it will save you dollars, you know, down the line of things that you've got to repair or investments that you might have had to make otherwise, that as a smaller organization or earlier stage organization, you can really leverage that opportunity of age and stage that is attractive um, to the, the hires in terms of experiencing that stage of, of growth of, of your organization and company. And again, thinking of your experience internationally, what are the key skill sets that you see the Irish workforce having good strength and depth in? And similarly, where do you think the local workforce is lacking in depth? It, it's a really interesting conversation because when you think of diversity, right, because you end up falling into some stereotypes here, which mm -hmm. are, you know, sometimes helpful and sometimes not helpful. So I'll, I'll, I'll caution everybody in the audience just to put a bit of a health warning around everything I'm about to say here, right? But if, if, if I was to pick some strengths, what you have in the Irish workforce is, is a very globalised, culturally attuned workforce. As a small country with lots of multinationals present here, you have people who, even based here, have a fair degree of international and globalised experience and running very multicultural teams uh, and building and scaling businesses and organizations and that is you know you, you can see a lot of talent availability and organizational depth there what comes with that is a lot of adaptability and high capability in in basically collaboration and in kind of, kind of globalized collaboration which which can be very very important attribute in in scaling global businesses an area that is is less well developed but is growing and, and obviously Endeavor are investing heavily here and making an impact, I think is that that proliferation of, of building earlier stage, you know, highly innovative companies, whether that be tech or elsewhere. 
there's a fairly high degree of commercial entrepreneurship, but less in that more highly scientific and technical innovation. Some of that's coming out in the dividend of the multinationals, though I think we could expect to see a richer dividend there, quite honestly. But I think the the, the efforts that organizations, particularly like Endeavor, are making really having impact on, on the ground here. Yeah, there's definitely a longer conversation as to you know the, the dividend out of the multinationals. And it'll take time as people not tire, but as people sort of get longer in their their tenure with those multinationals, they might become braver. Some of them will become braver and want to go out on their own and do something. And they will have such a, an incredible stack of experience that they wouldn't have got without those multinationals. I think that it will stand to them very well. So we're seeing it uh, a little bit already and hopefully more to come. So I think that's a very good point. Um, in one of the previous Multiplier Effect podcasts, Dave Salanta of Squire, who's an Endeavor entrepreneur out of Western New York, said, and I quote, a company is a collection of people marching toward a singular goal. So they need to be nurtured, cared for, and invested in. And for me, that speaks to the growing importance of the HR and people functions, especially when talent is just so scarce as it is now. So what's the biggest change that CPOs might encounter over the next five years? Obviously, I love this question. I have been in the HR function for nearly the entirety of my career. And I, I, I think this moment actually is a really exciting moment for the impact that the people function has on growing uh, and building great businesses. And the where I'll start really is with the exciting changes occurring in the workplace and the impact that that's having on talent, whereby we really are seeing, you know, a, a talent driven market. We now have a more globalized talent market to some degree accelerated by the impact of COVID, though obviously more negative impacts there too. But I think that is that that change has been accelerated by virtue of our, I guess, our demonstration of our ability to, to work kind of anywhere, anyhow, so to speak. But the, the, what that means, therefore, for the workplace, you know, work is not where you go, but it's what you do. And how do you, to your point, Rory, you know, create community and connection and belonging with a highly diverse workforce uh, that it may be globally distributed because we'll, we'll, we'll acquire the talent where it's based and, you know, engage them in, in a body of work. The role of the CPO is really to think through all of that organizationally, culturally and, and deliver value for the business. I think the other thing to say here is that the accountability for the CPO role is now so much higher and, and, and very high, sometimes for, as illustrated by what you'll, when you hear me say this, is kind of for negative reasons. And I, and I, I say this with, with some thought, which is you're, you're seeing some tough decisions on CPOs being leaving their roles because the accountability that they've carried for important issues that are now on the board agenda have not been dispensed with appropriately. And they would be issues of, you know, diversity and, and integrity in the culture of the organization. And whilst I don't obviously take any relish in seeing any of my peers losing their roles, what I do appreciate is the fact that we're now accountable in the same way that the CFO has been accountable for essentially the commercial running of, of, of the, 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 the business. So I think what that does is really pull our function to the front, as I, as I 
as I think it should be in, in really delivering on, on the, the aspiration of the comment or quote that you've, you've given Rory. I think it's really exciting. So it, it's ultimately down to the changing talent landscape and what that means for the workplace and all of the rigor of kind of organizational structures and buildings seems to have been that band-aid's been ripped off and putting different kind of conceptual structures around it really is the job of the CPO in the future. It's like an advertorial for career guidance into uh, people and HR. <laughs> um, they're all great, great questions to my, sorry, great answers to my questions. Um, to wrap up, we have some short, more general questions that we like to ask our guests. So to start with, the founder and CEO of Endeavour, Linda Rottenberg, has always said, call me crazy. Crazy is a compliment. So we like to ask each guest on our show, what has been your call me crazy moment? There have been very many of them. Um, one of them, from a professional standpoint, I would say, is commuting to Beijing on a weekly basis for about four months. And the craziness was the opportunity and the craziness was the jet lag and, and, and missing family. But it's kind of one of those moments when you get a, a question of doing something and you say to yourself, well, what would you do if you weren't afraid? I kind of did what I did and I don't regret it for one moment because it gave me lots of other opportunity. But it was a bit nuts, quite honestly, I would say. Um, That's pretty yeah. crazy. That's very crazy. <laughs> Four months of Beijing commuting. Okay. Uh, some more rapid fire questions that our listeners like to know. So what are you reading or listening to right now? So what I've just finished reading is a great book called Humankind. And it's written by a psychologist who essentially proves which a point which I've always thought to be the case, which is humans are essentially kind by their very nature. And there's some brilliant studies, so it's it's kind of evidence-based that essentially prove that point right through the evolution of, of the human race. And it was interesting to me because in the work that I do with humans in the workplace, uh, oftentimes functions like mine seek to put a lot of rules and policies and regulations on the basis that we, we work on the premise that people will try and break them and we need them in order to get things done. And, and I've over the course of my career, chosen to take a different perspective, which is the opposite, and try and remove the rules and the policies and, and generally give people some good guidance as to what we're trying to achieve. And in my experience, the vast majority of people try to do the right thing. So that was an interesting book, and I'd highly recommend. What I'm listening to is the Sinead O'Connor memoirs book on Audible. And the reason I'm listening to it is because it is her very interesting story but listening to her very lovely voice and I'd highly recommend it. I've heard it's very good, but I, I didn't, I didn't know she did. She read the audible version. So that's very interesting. This next question, in-house or external recruiters? Both, which is, you wouldn't be surprised to hear me say that because you need expert recruiters and depending on your age and stage, you can't necessarily afford to have all the expertise in-house. So build a great function in-house, it's critical, but know the skill sets you need in your recruiters in terms of how you, where you're going to scale specifically and buy that in-house, but where you need niche, buy externally, but be really planful around how and where you do that. Great, very easy one to finish with. Are leaders born or made in your view? I think leaders are made. So, because I think everybody can be a leader. I, I'm somebody of the view that leadership is demonstrated at all level in the organization. It's a behavior, not a role. And I think oftentimes, again, people like me in roles that I'm in or in functions I'm in get, a, get very caught up in 
the leadership is the role. And of course, there are leadership roles. I'm in one, this audience is most likely in a leadership role and they are very important. But leadership is also demonstrated right throughout the organization in terms of thought leadership, essentially taking the initiative, you know, bringing ideas. And I think the opportunity to really unlock that with a different concept of what leadership means, I think is really exciting. So therefore, the reason not to say some people are, are born with more intrinsic qualities that enable them to be leaders. But I think as we expand the notion of leadership, in addition to the more Western concept of you know, leading from the front and issuing instructions and being really clear with people on where we're going, you have more of this concept of leadership by building followership. And I think a lot of that is providing great opportunity, obviously, for the leadership book writers. But I think experience, therefore, allows people to develop into leaders because I've seen some of the best leaders not manage anybody, but they have demonstrated huge followership by virtue of their ideas, how they conduct themselves, the kind of problems that they're prepared to tackle. And so, yeah, that would be that would be how I would think about it. Brilliant. Fiona, we'll leave it there. That was really insightful. And I know plenty of founders will benefit from hearing your views. So thank you for being so generous with your time and your thoughts today. And actually also when you assist us by mentoring ambitious founders for Endeavour. So thank you and wishing you and all at Ding continued success. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Fiona. Special thanks to Fiona for joining us on the show. For more information about this episode, head to our website at themultiplieraffectpodcast.org. See you next week.